Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Down the Line. This is episode number 87 of our podcast episode. This is I'm Brevin Hunter alongside Kyle Betts. It is Friday, February 10th. It is Super Bowl weekend. Plenty of things going on, not just for the Super Bowl, but in the entire city of Phoenix and the down in the Phoenix area. You've got the Waste Management Phoenix Open hosted in Scottsdale. It's got a $20 million purse this week for the PGA Tour. And then, like I mentioned, you got the Super Bowl going on, all the events all week long in downtown Phoenix and Glendale that are both events expecting more than a million visitors. Each going to help out the city and the state of Arizona. Kyle, how are you doing this week? Yeah, I'm doing good. You know, being in Phoenix for about the past year or so kind of makes you have a little bit of FOMO because there's all the stuff going on this weekend and it's the year after you're there, you know, so um definitely unfortunate I can't be there for everything everything that's going on there this week you know all the different festivities but um looking forward to watching a little bit of the waste management uh open and then uh, obviously the mm-hmm. Super Bowl the Sunday um huge episode here today Brevin I mean there's so much to yeah. talk about mm-hmm. yeah the second round of the waste management Phoenix open is currently uh in progress or some players still finishing from yesterday's First round that was concluded due to darkness about six o'clock last night. So, um, we got three atop the leaderboard at five under, including Jason Day, Nick Taylor, and Adam Hadwin, and then tied for fourth at four under, um, including group of players such as, uh, Jim Herman, uh, last year's winner, Scotty Scheffler, and, uh, former Essex Xander Shoffley. So let's yeah. get right into the top five. And last week we brought you the news of Tom Brady retiring. We're going to get more, an update on Tom Brady in a second, number two. But number one, we get to the probably the biggest news of the week. It could be the biggest sports news of the year, where on Tuesday, Los Angeles Lakers forward LeBron James became the NBA's all-time leading scorer, surpassing former Lakers legend and captain Kareem Abdul-Jabbar with his 38,388th point in the third quarter at Crypto.com Arena against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Yeah, I think you know better way to kick off this fast five than to kind of lead off with LeBron here. Um, at first, you know, end of the first quarter, we weren't really sure where, if he was going to hit it that night, but you know, it, it all could just kind of fell together. You know, game on national TV, he gets going eight points early. He has a big second quarter, and the Lakers are still you know in, in a position to win at that point, and then. Uh, LeBron hits that really nice kind of uh, fadeaway in, in a sense. He kind of got his feet set and then leaned back and and uh, shot it from just around the free throw line. And um, really great to see that going and see all the Lakers fans celebrate, his teammates, you know, Kareem coming out on the floor, them having that little ceremony. It, it was definitely great to see. Um you know, Kareem holding that record for 39 years. This is such a big mm-hmm. deal. We don't know if it'll ever be broken again, but um, yeah, definitely a big deal for LeBron. Uh, he became the eighth player in NBA history to be the all-time leading scorer as well. So um, again, we're going to see if someone's going to be able to top him, but mm-hmm. I-, I think it was interesting because he was able to break that record, but they still lost to the Thunder. So yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. The le- uh, LeBron needed 30, 30- Six points to break the record, and he scored 38 despite injuring his foot. Um, I think it was early in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Um, 
despite losing by three for his team. All right. So we said uh, we were going to get to Tom Brady. So um, here's the latest update on Tom Brady. Um, So Tom Brady told Colin Coward this week that he will officially enter the booth as an NFL on Fox color commentator next year for the 2024 season. Um, Last May, Brady had signed a 10-year, $375 million deal with Fox to join the network after his playing career concludes. I think this is the right move for Tom Brady. I mean, if you've been working as hard as you have and you've been the best at your profession over the course of, what, almost 25 years, um, yeah, you, you definitely deserve a break, and that's what he's doing. He's taking this next season off to... I would assume kind of focus on himself and his brand. And uh, I think too, he's going to start practicing for this role. I think, you know, he hasn't had any experience, you know, despite signing that huge contract, but I think, you know, he, he's going to work on his craft and see if he's going to be able to get better. So he's uh, primed and, and good to go for the real deal when he gets out there in 2024. But I think, I think this is interesting, Robin, because, they already have, you know, Greg Olson doing the broadcast for Fox with the A team, and he's done such a great job. So it's almost kind of like Fox regrets having so much talent at their disposal right now, uh, calling games, at least from the report I read. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like when Tom Brady comes in with the knowledge that he's gained, obviously with the number of Super Bowls, the MVPs, you know, all that knowledge, I feel like it's kind of similar to the way – we got to watch John Madden throughout all those years right. and the way you saw John Madden be able to dissect a, a simple bootleg or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like that we have that kind of opportunity here with Brady. It's just a matter of how Brady's able to convey that when he's on the mic um, in 2024. Mm-hmm. All right. We continue on with football here for these next couple of points. Uh, actually, the final three points. Um, so all this week, we've had media appearances um, throughout, um, I think it's what's it called NFL, like Super Bowl week or something like that to prep for before the Super Bowl. So Wednesday, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell spoke to the media. And one of the moment, one of the things that he said is uh, he doesn't think officiating, quote, has ever been better in the league, end quote. Goodell's statement comes after officiating controversies have taken over football during the postseason with numerous players and uh, social media folks entertaining claims that the league is scripted. Yeah, I'm definitely one of those guys who is all for the script claims and the players joking about it. I think it's hilarious. Um, But yeah, I think, you know, he he is mistaken here, Roger Goodell. I don't think it's ever been better. I think, you know, he could have, you know, maybe gave a comment that put officiating in, you know, a positive light. But I think never been better is a false light because of what has transpired here in the postseason, you know, just a, a lack of. Uh, transparency from officials. I think, you know, the cohesion has been an issue at times too. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I think this is definitely interesting for him to come out and say that, but clearly he has faith in his crews and everything that he's done to assemble officiating and the rules that have been put in place. So there's a lot of criticism out there, but he's not really one to take it, I guess. He's just more facing it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to see if there's a consistency rating. Um, it says game officials, um, operations for NFL. Uh, each game averages around 154 plays. Game officials are typically typically accurate on a 98.9 percent of calls. <laughs> I don't know when this story was published or when this um link was published, but yeah, right. that's according to uh, the story. Uh huh. So yeah, there's been. I mean, whether it's, I mean, I'm not gonna include that extra third down for that whistle that wasn't heard. Yeah. Um, but there's been other plays that you see Joe Mixon getting tackled deep, deep out of bounds. Um, there's numerous ones that you could say, you know, right. there's, you know, we've had the contradictory roughing the passer this year. Um, oh yeah. That involved, uh, Derek Carr and Chris Jones on Monday night football. Right. Uh, yeah, I remember that. There's so many others to think about. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to number four. Um, we continue with football on Wednesday. Buffalo Bills safety Demar Hamlin, who went into cardiac arrest and cardiac arrest and needed to be resuscitated a couple months ago in a Monday night game in Cincinnati, accepted the NFL PA Allen Page Community Award, which annually recognizes one player who goes above and beyond to perform community service in his team city and or hometown. I think it was great for the NFL and the NFLPA to honor Tamar Hamlin here for his work because, you know, before this event transpired, you know, where he needed to be revived on the field, um, no one really knew of his Chasing M's Foundation community toy drive, which <laughs> had that original goal of $2,500. Um but, you know, since everything has happened with DeMar going down on the field, the fundraiser has gained support all throughout the country, all throughout the world, now has surpassed $9 million. So um, it's great to see, you know, such a horrific event and just the uncertainty of everything that happened, you know, just all the emotions that poured in. I, I think it was great to see a positive come out of that and for DeMar to be healthy and, you know, speaking at the NFL honors ceremony, I thought that was great too. And it was also announced this week that he is actually expected to play football again. So um, if it's as early as next season, we'll see, but that was great news to hear as well, because he, he definitely deserves to. And um, I'm excited to see him out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like when you see a player go through like a torn ACL or, you know, yeah. you know, even like the neck injuries that we see where it's, you know, a long rehab process. Um, and so we're kind of in that type of stage now, um, for DeMar Hamlin and, yeah. you know, what it's going to take for him to come back to play football. Um, so in addition to awards, uh, last night was the NFL honors award ceremony. Dallas uh, Dallas Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott was named the Walter Payton Man of the Year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Patrick Mahomes received his second MVP. Uh, Justin Jefferson received the Offensive Player of the Year. Nick Bosa won Defensive Player of the Year. Brian Dable was the Coach of the Year. Offensive Rookie of the Year was Garrett Wilson. Wilson's teammate Sauce Gardner was the Defensive Rookie of the Year. And Geno Smith was the comeback player of the year, in addition to D'Amico Ryans being the assistant coach of the year. 
Yeah, go back to our episode last week and listen to the predictions that we gave for this. Uh, I think we were right on some of them. We agreed on a lot of them too, Brevin, but Mm -hmm. there are obviously some that we did not get right here as well. But I I think, you know, beyond our predictions, like this is pretty much what we expected from every single level. Um, A lot of these guys coming in. I think for me, Geno Smith winning comeback player of the year, I, I picked against him last week, but I will say that there needs to be a comeback player of the year award and then a most improved player of the year award. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, Geno Smith being the comeback player, I don't I don't really see that fitting, but good for him to win that award regardless. Um mm-hmm. and I think the big storyline here, obviously Mahomes kind of outlasting Jalen Hurts. Uh I thought it was interesting, you know, he he really just showed him up in, in the MVP voting. I think Jalen Hurts only got a few votes or a couple votes, and Mahomes mm-hmm. received a large bulk of them. So, yeah, um, mm-hmm. that that was interesting to see too. I didn't expect that, but I think you know w- when you see Mahomes do what he does, even without Tyreek Hill, and they're still in the same position, um, that just tells you everything right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the new awards last night for the NFL Honors was the Jim Brown Award for the best running back. That went to Raiders running back Josh Jacobs. There were so many yeah. other awards that have usually been on uh, display. All right, so we're going to continue on with the NFL. The Pro Football Hall of Fame class of 2023 was announced last night. In conjunction with the NFL Honors, there were nine uh, men selected to be inducted into Canton. So you got Rondé Barber, you got Darrell Revis, Joe Thomas, Zach Thomas, Demarcus Ware among the players. And then you've also got Don Coriel, Chuck Howley, Joe Klecko, and Ken Riley all announced to be part of the Pro Football Hall of Fame class of 2023. Yeah, speaking on these players first and foremost, I think, you know, they, they definitely got the list right. A lot of these guys were so legendary when they played and you can tell, and they were always held in high regard. Now they're getting the respect that they deserve, you know, on an even higher level, which is the hall of fame. And so Rondé Barber, you know, he had a great career. We, we all know what he was able to do him and him and his brother. They kind of took over the league for a period of time there. Um, Darrell Revis. I mean, he could lock anyone up. We knew how good he was as well. And, for me, I think the the name that stands out on this list is Demarcus Ware, not just because he won a Super Bowl with the Broncos, but you know, even during his days as a Dallas Cowboy, he was just always wreaking havoc in the backfield. He had a really good arsenal of pass rush moves. He could stun if he needed to. He was athletic. I mean, he was everything you wanted in a pass rusher. So for him to get in to the Hall of Fame so early on with eligibility is great. And Brevin, you know, we definitely love to see Don Coryell mm-hmm. be on this list and, and get inducted to the Hall of Fame because we know that he had a big influence at San Diego State. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we think about, you know, who he, he was coaching with at San Diego State. You think about Joe Gibbs. Oh, yeah. You think about John Madden as well, you know. Crazy. And... I think I think Don Coryell's record at San Diego State was I think 104, 104, 19 and two. I saw a tweet huh. earlier this morning, so that's not off the top of my head. <laughs> I was gonna <laughs> say, you just, knew that? <laughs> but it just shows you the uh, 
Um, then you saw the success that he had at the NFL. And when we think about the offense that he, that Don Cariel put together, it's kind of what we're seeing today with the air raid offense and being able to see players like Patrick Mahomes throw for more than 5,000 yards. We saw it last year with, I think it was Tom Brady and Derek Carr throw for more than 5,000 yards. So, you know, we're seeing, you know, one of the originators of today's offense now getting into Canton. And unfortunately, Don Coriel is not going to be with us during this time of, the, uh, of his induction um, right. uh, as he passed away um, back in 2010. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's all. All of this is leading up to the big game on Sunday between the it Philadelphia is. Eagles taking on the Kansas City Chiefs at State Farm Stadium in Glendale, Arizona. The Eagles are the home team, um, having the better record during the regular season. This game kicks off at 3.30 p.m. Pacific time on Sunday. Um, Kyle, when we look at these odds, there's so many different odds and props that you can go off of here. You've got, obviously, you got the main and odds, you got money line, you got the point spread, you've got um you know, the money line, the total, you know. Yeah. Um right now we got one and a half in favor of the Eagles for this game, Kyle. How are you seeing this game play out? Yeah, I think this is gonna be a great game. Both teams are pretty much at full strength. And you know, I don't know. It's tough to pick against the Chiefs here. I know that point total of one and a half that spread in in favor of the Eagles is very small, but I just, I can't pick against the Chiefs, you know, as much as I want to see the Eagles come out and make a statement in this game, I think Mahomes is going to be showing why he won MVP yet again. Uh, I think he's had time to heal that ankle as well. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Really big deal, you know, being a full participant in practice, not even at the end of the week, but rather I think a couple days ago he was a full participant on Wednesday. So that's a huge deal for the Chiefs. Um, For him to have the ability to move around is going to be really important. Um, That's what we saw in that Super Bowl in which they lost to the Bucks. you know, a couple years back. You know, he just wasn't able to move because of his O-line. That that was the problem here. Now, you know, he does Mm -hmm. have a better O-line and, um, so it, it'll be interesting to see how they come out in terms of their game plan on offense. You know, do they run the ball a lot? Do they feed Pacheco? I mean, it's so many different question marks and that's what makes the offense so special is that you don't know what's coming your way. They don't have a certain guy that they're going to go to throughout the game. It could be anyone. So yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to pick the chiefs mm-hmm. in this game. I'm also going to take the under, I think 51 points is a lot. So, uh, mm-hmm. As hard as it is to pick the Super Bowl, I'm picking the MVP. So, um, let's see. Tra- um, Patrick Mahomes is trying to become the first player to win Super Bowl MVP and regular C- or NFL MVP since uh, Kurt Warner back in 1999. So, 20, 24 years trying to do something that hasn't been done since, or at least I should also say, hasn't been done. Right. In the 21st century, um, the point spread, Kyle, um, has dropped from 51 to 50 and a half, so just a half point. Um, from when we put this up in our rundown sheet, um, interesting. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, these are... Yeah, Kai, you mentioned the O-line. That's going to be the challenge, I think, in this game, is how well that O-line is going to be able to contain the Eagles' defense. Um, You know, I think it was 70 sacks, I think it was, during the regular season for the Eagles. Yeah, something like that. They went crazy. And to see that number be so high, it's kind of hard to go against that. So I think I'm going to take the Eagles here. Um, Anytime touchdown scorer... Jalen Hurts is plus 100. Miles Sanders is plus 120. Um, so I think you kind of lean towards that as well. Um, let's see. There's so many different more wagers and categories. Coin flip. Obviously, touchdown score. Um, but, yeah. What? Uh, yeah. Um, Gatorade color. <laughs> yeah. Gatorade color. Um, passing props. Rihanna's um, dress. Uh, yes. Color. Yeah, colors. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jalen Hurts' passing prop is set at 238.5. And, a half, and oh. Patrick Mahomes' passing prop is set at 294. 238.5 seems very low. But with the way the Eagles run the ball. It's also very true, yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. The top receiving props for both teams. Dallas Goddard set at 49 and a half. Devontae Smith, 63 and a half. AJ Brown, 72 and a half. Huh. Uh, Travis Kelsey, 79 and a half. Um, that is the highest. Wow. Uh, huh. Wes okay. Watkins is set at 12 and a half. Mm-hmm. And same with Kenneth Gainwell. In terms of the rushing props, what is. Yeah, I would I would hit that Kenneth Gainwell over. They use him a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, Jalen Hurts is rushing props set at forty nine and a half. Um, Patrick Mahomes is set at nineteen and a half. So anything over twenty yards, so two scrambles above ten yards would get you there. Um, yeah. Isaiah Pacheco forty six and a half. Miles Sanders sixty one and a half. Hmm. Those are the rushing props. There you go. Hmm. Um, so yeah, we will keep you updated on how, um, the Super Bowl goes next week. Um, but yeah, like I said, Kyle has the Chiefs. I got the Eagles this week. Um, and what will hopes to be another good Super Bowl, Super Bowl 57. All right. We're going to move on now to the NBA, a wild week in the National Basketball Association with the trade, trade deadline on Thursday. Uh, yesterday at 12 o'clock p.m. Pacific time. There were a lot of moves to get, um, there were a lot of moves that were made, but we're going to get to probably in our eyes, the seven biggest moves leading up yeah. to the deadline. And we're going to go kind of in chronological order here where we kick things off on Monday, where the Dallas Mavericks, they acquired Kyrie Irving and Markeith Morris from the Brooklyn Nets for Spencer Dinwiddie. Dorian Finney-Smith, a 2029 first-round pick, and two second-round picks in 2027 and 2029. Yeah, I think this is a trade that no one really expected Kyrie to end up in Dallas, but it happened. And so this was pretty much the first domino to fall for the Nets. And uh, this trade deadline kind of period, of course, this happened a little earlier on in the week, but... Um, yeah, I, I think this is a big deal for 
the Mavs to get another really talented scorer, obviously. I think they do need a big help. So losing Dorian Finney-Smith could potentially impact them a little bit. But you see them making a big splash for a big player, and uh, we're going to see if it works out, and they're going to make a playoff run this year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see once uh, Luka Doncic comes back to see the way both Irving and Doncic play together on the floor. Yeah, Irving uh, made his first appearance in a Maverick uniform on Wednesday. He scored 24 points, uh, grabbed five rebounds, um, recorded five assists, gained four threes in a 110-104 victory over one of the teams that was possibly looking to get Kyrie Irving in the Clippers. Yeah. All right. Next move we're going to is a three-team trade that was first reported by Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN, this deal became official on Thursday between the Lakers, the Jazz, and the Minnesota Timberwolves. So the Lakers uh, received D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, and Jared Vanderbilt. Utah, they get Russell Westbrook, Juan Toscano-Anderson, Damian Jones, and a lightly protected 2027 first-round pick uh, from the Lakers and Minnesota. They get Mike Conley, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, um, a 2024 second round pick from the Lakers and two second round picks from Utah, uh, one in 2025 and 2026. Very interesting deal here. The Lakers are getting D'Angelo Russell back, which is kind of funny. Mm. Um, definitely didn't expect this, but I think it's a good deal because they pretty much get three starters in this deal for essentially a borderline starter, two players that don't really see game time, and then a first, a lightly protected first-round pick. So mm-hmm. I think this is an absolute steal for the Lakers. This was the first deal to happen for them before the deadline, and I thought it was a huge one. Um, I guess speaking from a different perspective, Utah getting Russell Westbrook could pay off because we've all seen how Westbrook plays when he's really the only star on the team, you know, when he's that catalyst, when he has the ball in his hands, every play um, that could turn into something potentially. I don't know if it will. Um, but then again, they still have a couple of really good players there in Utah. Um, Colin Sexton being one of them. Um, mm-hmm. we, we, we know how talented they can be as well. So um, I don't know if that'll pay off, but I, I think it, it's really good deal for the Lakers here because they're able to, Move on from Russell Westbrook, especially after it was reported that he and the Lakers head coach Darvin Ham they kind of had a heated exchange during halftime of the uh, halftime of the Thunder loss on Tuesday. So that was Westbrook's last game, and so maybe that had something to do with the decision being made there on Wednesday so quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, another move that was made was a four-team deal um, involving Philly, Charlotte. Portland, and the New York Knicks. Um, so Philly, they are receiving a former Aztec that we have covered in Jalen McDaniels, a 2024 second-round pick from Charlotte, and a 2029 second-round pick from Portland. The uh, um, Charlotte receives Sabib McHaluk, a 2023 second-round pick from Philly, and a 2027 second-round pick from Portland. Uh, the Trailblazers, they received Cam Reddish, Matisse Thibel, Ryan Arcita Kono, and a 2023 first round pick from the Knicks. And the Knicks, they get Josh Hart. 
Yeah, I thought this was an interesting deal. It's kind of hard to break down just because there are four teams involved here, but mm-hmm. I'll go over the bigger names here, which are Jalen McDaniels. Obviously, he's kind of the big piece of this deal. We all know how well he can defend because he kind of got that instilled in his uh, arsenal when he was at San Diego State. He can move his feet well. He can stretch the floor. His offensive numbers have been down this year, but I think he'll be a really good, productive player for that Philly team, whether he starts or if he comes off the bench. I think if he does come off the bench, it'll be early because he's still young. You know, he's got a lot of potential. He's probably, what, 25, 26 years old at this point of his mm-hmm. career. So, yeah, I'm expecting a lot of good things from Jalen McDaniels in Philly. And I guess the other big part of this is Josh Hart going to the Knicks. He's a very tenacious player. He works hard on every end of the floor. He uh, can be kind of erratic at times, but I think it all pays off because he's really able to defend well. And uh, he's just a guy who is all over the floor. So it's a big deal for the Knicks to receive him from Portland. (laughs) Yeah, I think too with Jalen, he'll be able to, you know, being the position that he plays, he'll get that um, advice that he needs from a player like Joel and be down low in the post. Uh, so it's going to help him. You think about yeah. where, um, at in the, um, you know, even looking at the standings right now, you know, you think about, um, Philly, they're right near the top part of that big bunch, um, there. The Knicks are just, you know, right behind them. Yeah. Pretty much at that seventh spot. Um, you know, and then you think about, um, Charlotte, you know, there are a couple of picks that they got that are going to help them for the future. And then, and you think about the Western Conference aspect with Portland, you know, they're right on, they're right now at that 10 line, but just a half game up on Utah and OKC. So right. you see the opportunity here, not just for this year and what it could do, but for years to come, especially with that first round pick that Portland receives. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's go to the next trade. Probably the biggest one of them all um, come was reported Wednesday night, became official on Thursday. It involves the two-time finals MVP Kevin Durant going to the desert, going to play for the Phoenix Suns. He can play with Devin Booker and Chris Paul. So he comes to Brooklyn or he goes to, he go he comes to Phoenix uh, with TJ Warren uh, Brooklyn, they get Michael Bridges, Cam Johnson, Juan Pablo Valle, four unprotected first round picks in 2023, huh. 25, 27, and 29 from Phoenix. They also get a 2028 first round pick swap from Phoenix. Um, they also get a 2028 and 2029 second round picks from Milwaukee. The Bucks, they receive Jay Crowder. And the Pacers are also part of this deal to make it a four-team deal. They get George Hill, Serge Ibaka, Jordan Nawara, three future second-round picks from Milwaukee, and cash considerations from Brooklyn. Yeah, huge deal. I think this is something we were expecting, you know, last year. We all thought, Mm -hmm. you know, Kevin Durant had a chance to be traded to the Suns, you know, especially going into – the off season, you know, things didn't work out for them, but that never happened. And now it just did. They, they actually went ahead and made the decision to do it. He'll fit in nicely. I think this is a team that gets a really good piece and TJ Warren as well. We saw what he did in the bubble. He's kind of been hurt ever since and hasn't seen too much 
play time, but I, I think it's, you know, good depth, you know, playing the three or the four, whatever that might be. Mikhail Bridges, I think, is the biggest piece for the Nets that they get in this trade. He is a proven starter. The Suns are for sure going to miss him. Cam Johnson, too. But, yeah, man, it's crazy to see Phoenix invest so many first-round picks and a big portion of their future here for Kevin Durant. And if they don't win anything, I, th- I think that's going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, Kyle, what does it mean that, you know, last year we saw James Harden do that flip-flop with, uh, Ben Simmons, how you see, you know, as you mentioned earlier, um, Kyrie Irving getting traded and now Kevin Durant, what does it say about Brooklyn, you know, having that mentality to, to say, okay, let's tear down and try and rebuild this thing? It's pretty wild, you know, especially considering when I, th- I think it really all started when D'Angelo Russell was traded to the Nets. Um, that's when they started to kind of get some more stars under their belt. And now it, it, it's it's just odd because they had KD and Kyrie and you would expect one of them to be retained. I know you mentioned earlier, Brevin, that, you know, they were talking about potentially keeping KD and that just never happened here, obviously. But I, I think for me, you know, it's, it's just interesting because now this depth chart is Spencer Dinwiddie, Cam Thomas, Mikhail Bridges, Dorian Finney-Smith, and Nick Claxton. And mm-hmm. coming off the bench, I mean, they they got a pretty solid, you know, four or five guys coming off the bench. Um, but Ben Simmons is one of them. And it's just, it's interesting how Ben Simmons is kind of the lone wolf there after all these yeah. moves have been made. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, people in Phoenix, you know, as you mentioned at the top of our show, you think about the W on Phoenix. So, but the Super Bowl went on. Now you add in Kevin Durant. Yeah. Um, going to Phoenix. Um, one of the holes at the waste management Phoenix Open, aka the 16th hole, um, gives, gives, um, golfers the opportunity to wear a uniform or wear a player's jersey from another sport. So, uh, Stuart Sink was wearing a Kevin Durant jersey, uh, Kevin Durant sends jersey, um, on huh. that hole. <laughs> <laughs> no way. Uh, That's hilarious. Yeah. Uh huh. All right. Uh, three more moves that we're going to get to. It's a four-team deal. Um, we got a couple of four-team deals and a three-team deal. We got a, first off, we got a four-team deal involving Denver, Orlando, and both uh, LA teams. So Denver, they are receiving Thomas Bryant. The Lakers, they receive Mo Bamba, Devon Reed in a second-round pick. The Clippers, they receive Bones Highland. And Orlando receives Patrick Beverly a 2024 second-round pick from Denver and cash considerations uh, from the Clippers. Yeah, Thomas Bryant requested to be traded from the Lakers, so they go ahead, they deal him. You know, he had a good stint in L.A., a good second stint there, I should say, but ultimately didn't really work out. I think the Lakers won this deal as well. I mean, Obama ending up in L.A., that's that's huge. You know, he's probably going to start at the five, and uh, I think, you know, really good depth at that position. I think it could be an upgrade from Thomas Bryant as well. We know that Bamba is good really at both ends of the floor. So mm-hmm. that's huge. I think getting rid of Pat Bev and sending him to the magic yep. is, it's a good move. Uh, he didn't really provide too much other than, you know, that sort of incessant defense that he always seems to provide. And then bones Highland to the Clippers. I like that move a lot. I think, you know, adding more guard depth there is important, especially considering 
They got rid of one of their guards, the Clippers did, later on in this deadline. So Bones Highland there, I think he's going to fit in incredibly well. He's got a lot of potential. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kyle, when you think of um, Chris Haynes, he reported that Thomas Bryant um, requested that trade. Um, he was a sideline reporter for last night's Lakers-Bucks game on TNT. Kyle, when you think about Thomas Bryant requesting a trade from, you think about his teammates and who he plays with, you know, think about yeah. LeBron James, for example. What does that say that a player like Thomas Bryant is requesting to be traded from a team that has LeBron James on it? Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. Maybe it was his relationship with the coaching staff. I don't know exactly what kind of went down into that decision. Mm-hmm. I haven't really looked too much into it, but it's definitely interesting, especially, you know, since they had already made a move in the deadline to get D'Angelo Russell and a couple other pieces. So um maybe mm-hmm. he felt threatened. Like, I don't know if there's a chance that Jared Vanderbilt potentially – could have took his spot at the five yeah. and maybe mm-hmm. he saw that and just immediately decided to request a trade. I don't know what down into it, but I think it is pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I think it, it could just come back to Jared Vanderbilt showing up and, you know, just the uncertainty of Thomas Bryant, maybe having to come off a bench role. Maybe he didn't like that prospect. And so just decided to go ahead and mm-hmm. move on. You know, we think about the three deals now that Rob Plinka made, um, their GM. Kyle, how would you how would you put into words the the job that Rob Plinka did here at the trade deadline? I think it was huge, yeah. I think, you know, when when you consider the position they were in before and just leading up to the trade deadline, I mean it's it's a huge deal, especially since they were able to add starter starting caliber players to their rotation. And I mean, that includes coming off the bench as well. I think that's a big deal. I honestly thought we would see Lonnie Walker get traded at some point too, but they held on to him. And honestly, I'm fine with that. Um, I think they're in a position to win a lot more games now though. I think, you know, just because of the talent they brought in players with skill sets that they never had before this season or even the past couple years, I think it's a really big deal. Mm-hmm. Right now, the Lakers are 25 and 31, having lost uh, the, their last three games. They are two and a half games back of Portland for that 10 spot. Still got to get through Utah and OKC. Right now, Lakers yeah. hold that 13 spot. Um, I'm pretty much on that back end of that big, uh, wide margin. Yeah. Um, but the Lakers are seven games back of the Kings, who hold the three spot. That tells you how much congested the Western Conference is. All right. Uh, speaking of the Western Conference, we get two more deals involving a couple of Western Conference teams, including Golden State and Portland. Um, it also involves Detroit and Atlanta. So the Warriors, they are receiving, they are technically getting back Gary Payton the second, as well as two unprotected second round picks in 2026 and 2028 from Atlanta. The uh, um, the Pistons receive center James Wiseman. Atlanta receives Sadiq Bay from Detroit. Portland, they receive Kevin Knox a second. Three conditional second-round picks from Atlanta. Um, another second-round pick from Golden State. And a 2028 second-round pick as well, also from the Warriors. 
Yeah, this is kind of a random deal here. A bunch of players just getting moved around. I thought, you know, we were going to see Sadiq Bey end up in Golden State, and he mm-hmm. actually could have been very serviceable there. You know, he's got a incredible clip from beyond the arc. We know he can shoot well, but the Warriors decide, you know, they have the rights to him, but they're going to send him to Atlanta here and receive some picks back. So um, that's what happens there. Gary Payton goes back to the Warriors from the Blazers. The Blazers end up getting Kevin Knox. I think the Blazers, you know, were the real losers here at this deadline. I mean, they just did not upgrade their team at all, and they lost a starter in Josh Hart. So I I thought that was Mm -hmm. notable part of this, too, is they didn't really end up with much. And then James Wiseman, the big name here, going to the Pistons. I mean, it's crazy to imagine this guy was, you know, a top pick just a couple of years ago. And now he's already getting traded for, you know, not even a first round pick. So that's pretty Mm -hmm. interesting. I think, you know, he can still find a way to kind of revive himself there in Detroit and get his career on the right track. But it's pretty interesting, Brian. Now the Pistons have the first and second overall picks from that draft on their team. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Kate Cunningham and now him. So, yeah, mm-hmm. they 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 have so much youth on that team. It's wild. Yeah, the features, you know, right there in Detroit. You mentioned Kate Cunningham, now James Wiseman into that mix. So, interesting to see how this move deals in terms of for the Pistons um, moving forward as they. Trying to get another another crack at that um num- that best spot before the lottery happens um later in the year currently at fourteen and forty two in a and a half game yeah a half game behind the Rockets um for the worst record in the NBA right all right speaking of the Rockets they were involved in a three team deal involving them the Clippers and uh, the Grizzlies is the final move that we're going to get to the Clippers they get Eric Gordon three second round picks and a 2023 first round pick swap with Houston the Rockets received Danny Green and John Wall and Memphis they received Luke Kennard yeah i think this is a really interesting deal you see Eric Gordon going home back to LA we all know that he started his career there pretty much during the early portion of the Lob City era. And he's only been with three teams his whole career. He's been in Houston since 2016. So that was when James Harden was there and um, they made some runs. He's still a very serviceable player. I mean, he puts up almost 14 points a game. Very impressive to be doing, you know, especially since he's been playing since 2008. And I think they get good guard depth here. Houston, they got John Wall back as a part of this deal, but he was cut. So there goes that. And then I do like the Grizzlies getting Luke Kennard here. He's just that sniper kind of player that can change a game at any point. Um, Doesn't defend necessarily well, but he can, you know, give you three when you need it in a game. And I think that's really important for a playoff team to have a guy who comes off the bench and who's able to do that. So, um, kind of an interesting deal here, but I think that the Clippers kind of won it just because not only did they get good guard depth and Eric Gordon, but they got three second rounders and they got a first rounder. So um, they completely outclassed the other teams and they got more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is the Clippers team right now at the number five spot tied with Dallas. 
technically in the standings um, at 31 and 27, but are the number five spot based on percentage points um, by 0.002 percentage points. So right now they hold the number five spot as they make the final push um, before the regular season ends. Next week, we had the NBA All-Star Game and all those festivities that will take place. Um, we got um, some news within the last hour from Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN. We got some news on possible reserve replacements um, for the All-Star Game. That includes Minnesota's Anthony Edwards. That includes uh, Toronto's Pascal Siakam and Sacramento's De'Aaron Fox. They're expected to yeah. uh, be named um, the reserve replacements for next week's game. They are expected to take the place of Kevin Durant now in Phoenix. Um, Stephen Curry and Zion Williamson, those three um, who were named starters. Yeah, um, I, I think that's interesting, you know, having the kind of backups kind of have their chance. Uh, we don't know what's going to mm-hmm. happen, you know, leading up to the All-Star game. Of course, injuries could happen. Players can opt yep. out if they want. Um, but typically in the past, we haven't seen much of that. So, no. um I think we're going to kind of see that same core of players that have already been asked to come back. But of course, you know, there, there's already injuries impacting the league. Didn't Steph get hurt again? Is, is Did that happen? Yeah. His knee. So, so yeah, he won't be back until after. Yeah. yeah. He will not be, I think his next, next test on his leg is supposed to come after the All-Star break. Yeah. So there's always those instances, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we will next week. We're gonna do our NBA All Star Game mock draft, like what we did last year, um, where we draft just like how the two captains will draft this year between LeBron, LeBron James, and Giannis Antetokounmpo, and we will do that. Like I said, we will do that next week. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk some baseball. We're getting to a proposed MLB realignment with 32 teams. We're also going to talk about the Padres, their next, um, their newest move and ex- contract extension. We're also going to talk about the Angels, more news surrounding their owner, Artie Moreno. And then we're going to get into some Super Bowl trivia. Uh, we can come back here on episode number 87 of Down the Line. What's up, everyone, and welcome back to Down the Line. This is episode number 87, recording this on Friday, February 10th, right around 11 o'clock in the morning here on the West Coast. I'm Kyle Betts, Brevin Honda. As always, joining me, we have already gotten to our recent sports news of the week and to the Fast Five. We also talked some NFL honors the award winners we got into the hall of fame class of 2023 that was announced last night as well we gave our super bowl predictions and we also got into the nba trade deadline 
going off that theme of trades, we all know that social media has such a big influence in our society today and the sports world, especially with Mm -hmm. tens of thousands of tweets flying in every single minute, rumors bouncing around everywhere. News is being posted on social media. I mean, you can't avoid it. And so we're going to go and do a segment of fair or foul here. As we just talked about the NBA trade deadline, we saw some stories that said, you know, some athletes kind of figured out that they were getting traded before they actually found out through an agent. For example, I know that Josh Hart, I don't know if you saw the Hmm? photos, Brevin, but he was traded just minutes before the Blazers played. I believe it was on Wednesday night. So uh, he found out. The, uh, someone had a phone near the floor and uh, he found out they were showing him and he just pretty much walked around and, and said goodbye to all of his teammates. So going off of that, our fair or foul segment is should athletes, no matter the sport, know that they are being traded on social media first rather than from their agent or team? That's our question. That's our prompt. Brevin, you want to go ahead? You want to start? Yeah. You know, we, I think because of, at least here in the United States, we see this a lot in, I would say around trade deadline. So obviously we saw it, um, during the NBA trade deadline. We'll see it sometimes during, um, Major League Baseball, their trade deadline, you know, players yeah. that, you know, they'll first hear it on social media from, uh, from an insider. And then a couple minutes later, they'll hear it from their agent or from right, their right. team general manager. Ultimately, I think. Athletes should hear it first from their agent and from their team, at least to keep them in the loop of like what could happen, you know, even if they're on the court and we're 10 minutes before tip, you know, or at least, you know, someone from the team should tell them that, you know, there's possible rumblings that you could be traded rather than hearing it from, you know, people on social media, you know, whether they're, uh, they got a blue check mark or not. You know, I think because of the, I think the validity, uh, we started to grow on social media, the validity of how true these reports become. You know, I think remember, right. uh, 20, I think it was 2015, uh, you know, with Wilmer Flores from the New York Mets that year, you know, he had, he thought that he was going to be traded. I think it was, you know, you could, you could see visible tears coming out of his eyes, but then I, Ultimately, I don't think he was traded, and that's just because of all the yeah. rumors that um, were taking place. I have to agree with you on this one, Brevin. You know, I, I think it is fair that athletes should be able to find out their future coming from a main and direct source. You know, one of those mm-hmm. primary sources that they can connect to. You know, a team official, an agent, like you said. And I, I think it's the same with really any sort of announcement that can drastically change your life. I mean, there have been instances in the past, like obviously I don't want to compare death to a trade situation, but we've seen in the past where people learn of others passing away through social media. And you don't know if that report is necessarily verifiable um, it, it's hard to obtain, you know, the fact and real information 
when there's just one singular social media report that talks about a mm. death. So I, I yeah. think there is somewhat of a comparison that athletes should have that priority of being the first one to know of what's happening and learning of their future, especially since mm-hmm. they are the main party involved. Yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I think for me that, that that's what should come first and foremost. Mm-hmm. It's sort of that, I guess, ethic side of things where if you are involved, you should be the first to find out. But again, the society that we now live in is just so catered towards being the first to know and being the first to find out and having mm-hmm. that information. And that's what happened to Josh Hart this weekend. So mm-hmm. I, I think, I think you're right, Brevin. I, I think, you know, athletes should have that priority. Will they ever have it? I don't think so, but. Again, it just comes back to the positives and negatives of social media. I think mm-hmm. for sure it's a negative when so much information is out there, you're not able to verify mm-hmm. it, but there's still something related to a trade or a potential career change and your name is attached and involved to it. So I mm-hmm. think that's really where the difference is. Yeah. You know, I think it's, when we think about trades and when you think about from a player's perspective, you know, these are people's lives that, you know, having to switch their jobs, you know, on, on the minute of moving from city to city. And it's not just them, but it's, you know, their families, you know, having to switch houses, possibly Mm -hmm. have to, depending on it, move the kids from to a different school. And I think it's all those things that also come into play. I think about it as well. Earlier, Brevin, you were talking about a couple of the trades that went down, and mm-hmm. Svee Mikhailuk was one of those guys who was dealt, I believe, two or three times during this deadline alone. Mm-hmm. He was traded somewhere, and he was traded elsewhere, and he might have been traded again, but he was for sure traded at least twice, I saw for a fact. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if, if you're him in that situation, like – how do you even process what's happening? Cause you hear you're getting traded to a certain city and then you're like, okay, I'm going to get all my stuff. I got a plan how I'm going to move there. I'm going to get all my stuff there. Yeah. Um, transportation, but yeah. then you're traded 12 hours later. It's not like you can do anything about that. I mean, it's, yeah. it makes you think about like, how do these players really handle these situations? You know, when, mm-hmm they have to move so quickly as well. I mean, how do they go about that? I mean, how many people do they hire? How much help do they have? I think uh-huh. about that during trade deadlines. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. how, how these players' lives are actually impacted. And mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of people don't necessarily realize that just because they're wearing a different uniform. But, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's crazy to think about how many moves these players have to endure sometimes. I think Steve Mikhailik is one of those guys who mm-hmm. was a clear-cut example of that this past week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, luckily, I'm pretty sure the NBA has this in place. You know, obviously they got their travel coordinators in place. Um, so that way right. then teams can easily accept players, um, you know, and that sort of stuff behind the scenes of what goes on on the court. Um, I got that from, you know, watching Moneyball, that one scene of, all right, you're yeah. going to be traded. Here's the, here's the travel coordinator you can get in contact with, you know, and, um, you know, so on and so on. Right. And, you know, of how 
you know, it's not just, okay, we're trading you, but it's also, all right, how am I going to get from where I am to where I'm going to go? And I think that travel aspect, you know, comes so much into play. And then you add in the jet lag aspect in um, the mental aspect within it. Um, okay. I get traded from, I go from Memphis to let's say LA and then that's, you go two time zones and then you get traded from LA to, this is all based on scenario. This isn't actually happening. Right. Then you go from LA to, to let's say Boston, for example. So then you've, you've gone five time zones technically in a span of like, you know, within a 24 hour span, it's, it's a lot that, um, players go through and athletes go through. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Speaking of social media, um, this isn't trade involved, but it's news involved, uh, within the last hour. Uh, it comes from uh, the world of golf. Tiger Woods, who has not played since the open championship last July, tweeted, I'm ready to play an actual PGA Tour event next week at the Genesis Invitational. Mm. That is interesting. It's too mm-hmm. bad he wasn't there in uh, Phoenix this week. Could you imagine no. <laughs> how crazy that would have been? Oh, my gosh. Tickets would have gone. They would have had to sell out on tickets. It's crazy. The event actually did sell out already. I think mm-hmm. part of it is because of the Super Bowl. Yep. But mm-hmm. – you know, just so many people there. It sold out, I believe, yesterday or the day before. Mm-hmm. And last year when I was in Phoenix, and never it never actually sold out. So I just think the volume and the amount of spectators there in that area this weekend is just going to be so nuts. And that's a big reason why it's sold out. So I'm just yeah. trying to imagine mm-hmm. the Phoenix Open with Tiger Woods there. I mean, we already know mm-hmm. how exciting that is and you already mentioned hole 16 and Uh uh, just the sheer amount of people there that are having a good time but can you imagine if tiger woods was there Uh that would be well (laughs) well he did make a hole in one on the 16th hole back in 1997 i think it was But there were no grandstands were not filled three stories high it was just exactly people around the hole and beer cans were still going all over the place and People right. celebrating just as much, but yeah. It's not the same kind of not quite the same. Setting. So yeah, yeah that, exactly. <laughs> that came out. Uh-huh. So next week Tiger Woods is gonna play at the Genesis Invitational. It is the final event of the PGA Tours West Coast swing. Nice. Comeback season for Tiger Woods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um let's move on here though. Uh so we just went over fair or foul, players being traded. How about this, though? Let's move on to the MLB. It's an interesting proposal here. The Athletics' Jim Bowden, he kind of gave his own personal spin on a potential realignment with 32 MLB teams instead of the 30 that we have now. Um, This would include two expansion teams. This is pretty interesting. I'm excited to kind of go over this with you here, Brevin. Um it, it it kind of separates baseball into two conferences here mm-hmm. and different divisions throughout. So let's get into it. Um, the Western Conference. Now, this is interesting. This is unlike anything we've ever seen before. I think the closest thing I can compare this realignment to is spring training. You know how some teams end up in Arizona, other teams end up in Florida based mm-hmm. on geography. I think that's mm-hmm. as close as we're getting. 
But here we go. Western Conference, let, let's kick it off in the Midwest Division here. This is what a potential realignment in Major League Baseball could look like. The Chicago Cubs, the Chicago White Sox, Milwaukee Brewers, and then also the... And you also got the Minnesota Twins in that Minnesota mix. Minnesota Twins mm-hmm. in that mix. I'm going to lower this down so yeah, it's easier there to read. Go. Yeah, yeah, there you right go. Right in the middle of the page. There you go. <laughs> there you go. That's, there you that's go. much better. Uh-huh. So the Minnesota Twins finishing up that part of the Midwest division along with the Cubs, White Sox, Brewers, and Twins. The Southwest consisting of the Houston Astros, the Kansas City Royals, St. Louis Cardinals, and Texas Rangers. The Pacific Coast division would be the San Francisco Giants, the Oakland A's, the Seattle Mariners, and then the Colorado Rockies as well. And then the West division here, pretty much a spin on the NLS, the current NLS but the Angels as well. It's the Arizona mm-hmm. Diamondbacks, the LA Angels, the LA Dodgers, and the San Diego Padres. And then let's head over to the Eastern Conference side of things. So this is the East Division that we're going to talk about first here. Boston Red Sox, New York Mets, New York Yankees, Philadelphia, Philadelphia Phillies there in that division. That seems very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um North Division would be the Cincinnati Reds, the Cleveland Guardians, the Detroit Tigers, the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, Another potential division would be the Mid-Atlantic Division. This would actually include an expansion team. So the location that Jim Bowden included here was Charlotte. So Charlotte being the expansion team, as well as the Baltimore Orioles, Pittsburgh Pirates, and the Washington Nationals. The Southeast Division would conclude things in the East with another expansion team, that being from Nashville here in this instance. So it would be Nashville, Atlanta Braves, Miami Marlins, and Tampa Bay Rays in the Southeast Division. So those are your two separate conferences here in this potential MLB realignment, four divisions per conference, and 32 total teams Revan, what do you think about this? Could you see this potentially being a reality in the future? Do you like the realignments based on geography? What what do you think kind of is the best part of this potential realignment here? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that the players would like from this is the travel. You know, they won't have to... I mean, unless you're a team like... um, I would say Colorado, you know, unless you're a team like Colorado that would have to travel over, you know, back to the Pacific, uh, Pacific time zone, you know, um, then you would, you have to worry a little bit about, um, that one hour, if that, you know, of going back. And, um, I think that's the biggest thing is travel, especially for how much, um, how much, more of the science aspect is played within the game of baseball that you don't see behind the scenes, you know, in terms of, you know, the sleep aspect, the mental aspect, um, all those different types of things. I think the thing I, if there's one thing I don't like about this, um, it's really two things. I think the name for the Southwest division, I don't like with Houston, Kansas city, St. Louis and Texas, especially for St. Louis being so close to more closer to the Atlantic than the Pacific. <laughs> I think I yeah. probably like that. I would prefer that better as a <laughs> yeah. central division 
than a Western Conference of the Western Conference. Because yeah. um, when you think about Southwest, you think more about Arizona, you think about Colorado, you think about you New Mexico even, technically. Um, so I think that would be the one that would change. Um, yeah, call it the Central Division or something, you know. And then in terms of the Eastern Conference, I think it's I think these divisions, I think the East Division is too loaded on one side and then the Mid-Atlantic is not as loaded on the other side. I mean, you got four playoff teams, oh no, three playoff teams from a year ago in the East Division and the Mets, the Yankees, and the Phillies based on the 2022 standings. And then you got the Mid-Atlantic where you have the Pirates and Nationals lose at or more than 100 games and the Baltimore Orioles lost 100 games two seasons ago. Yeah, and then you add in an expansion team, and they'll probably lose ninety plus games for sure. Yeah, when you think about the divisions here, the Mid Atlantic Division, expansion team Orioles, Pirates, Nationals. I mean, that is just not a fun group of teams. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm sorry. I, I mean, I hate once to be that guy, but once the division betting lines come out, I would easily put twenty dollars on the Orioles to win that division. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I think too the the other interesting part of this list here with these two conferences is these expansion teams. Like do do we actually think that Charlotte and Nashville are two potential locations and if two teams two expansion teams actually do occur are they both going to be in that part of the country? Do you think it's going to be maybe one West Coast team, one East Coast team? I mean, have you kind of thought about this before? Yeah, I think there's so much that goes in with the expansion and with the other 30 MLB teams. You think about, for example, Oakland, and their talks about moving to a city like Las Vegas, for example. Yeah. Um, you know, and so that comes into play. You think about... Uh, People wanting baseball back in Montreal for um as well. You think about um you know, obviously that was concluded with the strike back in nineteen ninety four. Um, you know, in some of these other cities, if you want to put one team in in the Eastern Conference, one team in the West Conference, you can keep Nashville or Charlotte and maybe put a team in like Portland, Oregon or something like that. You know? Right. And so yeah, I think I think if there's one expansion team in both divisions, I think it would help out. Um, right. and you can, you can easily move the Rockies to the Southwest division, technically, and move, right. um, you could easily put the Houston Astros with, um, the Southeast division. You can that's easily do other, that type of a move. Yeah. I agree. And that's the other thing. Like, why in the world? Are the Rockies in the Pacific Coast Division? Like what? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like you get yeah, you get three teams on the coastline on the West mm-hmm. Coast of the United States, and then you have the Rockies. I mean, it's just very random. So yeah, like you could literally see the water or some version of body of water from <laughs> right from the Coliseum in Seattle, and yeah. easily you could see the water in San Francisco. Yeah, so I think, you know, changes would be made to this if it were to actually yeah. come by. Mm-hmm. But but I do think Jim Bowden, he did a good job putting this together. Mm-hmm. And again, it's a topic of discussion and conversation yeah. that we can go over and we can mm-hmm. talk about. So I think, you know, it's yeah. it's definitely something that could happen in the future. 
Um, and it would be interesting to see what people think about this as well. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And it's too, you know, you think about one less team to worry about right now in terms of going after a division title, um, as right. well from five to four. So that kind of, um, is also part of the discussion that teams will have, you know, it's like, Oh, we got one less team to worry about. You know, it'll increase our chances from one and five to one and four um, right. to win the division. Right. Absolutely. So mm-hmm. that, that is NOS too. You got Shohei, you got Mookie, yeah. then you got Manny Machado, you've got, um, Xander Bogart, you got U Darvish as well, um, uh, within that Western Conference, within that West division. Yeah. And the Diamondbacks probably going to get better. You would think here in the, in mm-hmm. the coming years too. So that would yep. be a really exciting division. That's the thing about this list really from, I guess, initial kind of look at things, some exciting divisions, some not so exciting divisions. But if this were to all change, I think it would definitely be interesting and shaking different divisions up would definitely be interesting mm-hmm. to have in baseball. So yeah, that mm-hmm. is the uh, mm-hmm. realignment there. The, yeah. The earliest this would possibly go into play would be once the new CBA um, contract expires in 2026. Um, so that would be the earliest I think that we would see um, changes to realignment. Yeah, I think it's definitely something that could happen just because things have been done the same way for so long. Um, and maybe just kind of set a new precedent for baseball. But yeah, I don't, I don't know if that'll that'll go down or, or if it'll have the popularity to catch on per se, but People are thinking about this right now, and so that's that's why we're talking about it. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, let's move on here to the Padres. So we had FanFest for the San Diego Padres last Saturday at Petco Park. Brevin, were you there for this? I was there. I had a, had a something in the morning, but I came. I went later in the afternoon. I saw a lot of people actually showed up there. Mm-hmm. For what it was, you know, considering it, it is just, you know, one of those preseason events, you see a couple of the players there and walking around and interacting with fans and things of that sort. But the event had 150,000 tickets that were distributed and captive fans. Mm-hmm. Padres reported there were 48,000 people who actually showed up. So I thought there a was a lot more. Numbers. Yeah. I mean, it seemed like there was a lot more from the videos and the photos that I saw. Mm-hmm. Um, so 48,000 people took time out of their. Saturday to go hang out with the Padres. And so that was definitely fun to see. If I was in the area, I definitely would have gone. I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, I, I love fan fest events. I think it would have been a lot of fun. Um, but Fernando Tatis Jr. made an appearance mm-hmm. and he was one yeah. of those players mm-hmm. that uh, kind of showed up and he was out there for a while, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he was part of, he was one of many Padres in attendance for FanFest. Um, you had Manny Machado, you had, um, Joe Musgrove, you, Darvish was there, Jake Cronenworth, you had Xander Bogarts, Juan Soto, um, Tim Hill, Bob Melvin, um, a good amount of the, the current Padres roster was, was on hand for the event. Fernando Tatis was part of a, uh, Players panel, or I should say, a hitters panel with Machado, Soto, and Bogarts talking to, taking questions and, um, 
answering some questions uh, in front of the fans. And right when Fernando Tatis's reaction, um, he said this earlier in the day in media that um, it was asked about his return and he said it was, it was, I think there's a little bit of nerves that go with it because, you know, he hasn't been part of the team for, for you know, a year and a half and on the right. field in a year and a half. And so the, he said the nerves are there. It's similar to like a first date kind of sort of, you kind of right. don't know what to expect. Um, and so, but to see the way the fans reacted to Fernando Tatis, it's like he was never suspended. It's, you know, it's just like he's just been hurt for the last year and a half, basically. I think to have that support is so important, you know, mm-hmm. just to have the idea to go up there, but to also have that sort of reciprocated feeling towards Tatis, you know, he and the fans, you know, we, we know that they feel the same way about each other. So just to, I guess, have that validation back again, just because he hasn't really been in the public eye that often. I think that's important. And like you said, the nerves are there, but I think just even showing up for this event and having the positive reception that he got is Uh definitely a positive for him because that's going to, you know, bump up Uh his morale a little bit. He's going to feel more comfortable coming back and being in a position where he can contribute. So I think that's big. And so for him to show up there, um, with all the signings that have been made this off season with the expectations being high, obviously being the Dodgers in the postseason last year, what is sort of the mentality you think throughout the organization? What is the expectation now that the Padres know that they can win, but Mm -hmm. they also added pieces to make them better and they're going to get Tatis back as well. Yeah, it's just like the bold prediction that I said um, to kick off 2022. Uh, you know, that the Padres are going to, we're going to win a World Series. And that's the mentality that goes through this entire organization, all the way from their owner and Peter Seidler to, to the players. And mm-hmm. you hear that from everyone. You heard that from Tatis Jr. You see that in the eyes of Manny Machado. You see that, um, you know, with the new signings of players like Matt Carpenter, like, a uh Nelson Cruz like a Xander Bogart you see that with Seth Lugo who's part of a hundred win team last year. Um mm. with the Mets, you know, you see that um throughout the entire organization. You know, that's the reason why Nick Martinez wanted to stay in San Diego and not want to go through free agency because you know he wanted right. to be part of a, a winning team. And so you see that from from the entire organization, from the owners to the manager to the coaches to the players. Right, right. Absolutely. Other Padres news that happened this week occurred on Wednesday, actually. It was Uh he and the Padres agreeing to a six-year, $108 million contract extension. Press conference was scheduled for him this morning, actually. Did that already happen, Revan? Is it going on right now? Do you know? Um, I think it's over. Um, Last time I checked... um... The Padres, uh, radio station 97.3, the fan, they were, uh, finishing up. They were talking to AJ Preller at the time, um, mm-hmm. on the radio. So, um, yeah, press conference is over. Um, still trying to figure out what, um, has gone on, um, via Twitter. Um, let's see. Um, 
the discussions for an extension with user agent uh, began at the beginning of last season. Oh. Um, you know, with the the character that Yudarish has, uh, they probably wanted to have you be here for the long term. Um, mm-hmm. AJ Preller said that you Darvish is a true artist, one of the true talents in Major League Baseball. You think about 11 different pitches that he has in his arsenal. Some players crazy only have two sometimes, maybe a right. third. Um, you know, and and you Darvish has nearly four times as much as that. Um, you know, we think about how this moves establishes that rotation, that one two rotation in the rotation with. You Darvish and Joe Musgrove, who signed a five-year, $100 million deal last year um, in August. Um, you know, and um, just to establish that rotation, you Darvish was expected to be a free agent after next year. So that six-year, $108 million deal um, goes for this year, and then five more years after that till 2028. So he'll be 42 um, at the end of the at the end of the deal. Right. So long-term investment, a little bit there for the mm-hmm. Padres, but do you like the deal? Do you like the length? Do you like the amount that he's getting? Yeah, I think ultimately I like the deal. I mean, you've heard, um, you know, Yudarish is getting set to, to play for Team Japan in the World Baseball Classic. Um, you know, if there's one player Bob Melvin's not worried about on his roster, it's Yudarish because of the veteran presence that he prevents. He he gives not just to the team in, in the clubhouse, but also on the field, you know, 30 starts a year ago, 30 starts, you know, the year before. And um, you take away that one bad start that he had in San Francisco earlier in the year. And, you know, he's a top 10 pitcher, you know, based right. on his numbers last year. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. Let's move on. Uh-huh. Here, Brevin. Uh-huh. Uh, let's go to angels. Let's go up North a little bit. Talk some halos. Uh, Artie Moreno, who is the owner of the Angels, we recently talked about how he has decided to not sell the team and he's going to retain ownership in Anaheim. Well, he actually did an interview with the New York Post John Heyman this week. He believes the Angels have as good of a chance as anybody to sign Shohei Otani next offseason. Of course, Shohei Otani won MVP in 2021. He finished second this past year. He is the most coveted player in baseball and will be, especially if they don't agree to an extension before next offseason. Marino told Heyman, quote, I like to keep Otani. He's one of a kind. He's a great person. Obviously one of the most popular baseball players in the world. He's an international star. He's a great teammate. He works hard. He's a funny guy, and he has a really good rapport with fans. He also... Mm-hmm expressed his understanding of Otani's value, Marino did. He said, quote, it's true we could have traded him, but how do you get back a major league starting pitcher and a Cy Young candidate and obviously an MVP type? How do you trade for that? You can't. So, Brevin, how did the Angels hold on to Otani? <laughs> Any chance uh, Angels can get a partnership with Disney? Because that's how much money uh, uh, Artie's going to need. Oh, for sure. For sure. Any chance you can get a partnership with uh Mickey Mouse or the <laughs> Avengers? Do you think <laughs> do you think that Shohei Otani um is going to receive 
either the largest contract in history or either that or the largest AAV? Like, what what do you think he's going to get? Oh, it's certainly up there. I mean, when you can play, when you can pitch, you can be one of the best. When you can be one of the best pitchers in the game, and you can be one of the best hitters in the game on top of being one of the global superstars in one of the sports. Right. You know, it says a lot about what he's going to get paid. You know, I think it's, we think about Max Scherzer for 43, um, on the AAV scale. Mm. You know, you're thinking close to 50. I, I would think, you know, at the minimum. Yeah. When it comes to Shohei Otani, you know, when, you know, a player that can, you know, pitch and hit, you know, be able to steal bases, you know, especially with, um, the new roles that'll go into effect with, Mm-hmm. On the bases being three inches, uh, three inches bigger than last year, you think about, right. um, you know, stepping off and improving pace of play, you know, that'll help Shohei. Um, the shift aspect as well for, as a, in terms of being a hitter, um, you know, this will just help Shohei Otani, especially being the pitcher that he is and hit from the left side. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, it's, Definitely a big part of it. And like I've said, you know, last week and in previous weeks, it all, it all comes down to how the Angels perform early on the season. Um, especially leading up to the all-star break. That's going to be telling and if they can keep him, but you got to have the sense, you know, there's going to be a lot of teams vying to sign Shohei Otani. Mm-hmm. Not only that, but blank paychecks coming his way and he's going to write that, write yeah. that amount in there. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't want Shohei Otani on their ball club? Oh, for sure, for sure. I think the yep. only the only thing going against Shohei Otani, if there's anything, I would say it's probably not taking batting practice on the field during their team batting practice. Yeah, I think that's the only thing that you can talk bad about Shohei Otani. Right, and that's just his routine. You know that he's not going to want to hit on the exactly. field, but he's going to. He's going to hit in the cage. Yeah, that's just what he's used to, for sure. I think that's the only knack that goes against Shohei Otani. Yeah, I mean, you can't speak mm-hmm. bad about the guy. I mean, there's nope. nothing you can say. So, um, mm-hmm. And he gets to play with you, Darvish, in the World Baseball Classic with Team Japan. Yeah, that'll be a lot of fun. And potentially his future teammate in San Diego as well. Mm-hmm. You never know. Yeah, the Padres are... Has reported to be one of the teams involved to eventually be in the mix for Shohei Otani with, I think, the Dodgers and the Mets, I think, are the other yeah. two teams. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, as well. So, I'm interested to see how it plays out come July, as we talked about over the last couple of weeks with the trade deadline, as well as as we head into the offseason. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to move on now. Our final segment of the day is going to be trivia. We're going to do some Super Bowl trivia with Kyle. Um, all right, Kyle. There have been eight teams <laughs> um, in Super Bowl history who have played in at least one Super Bowl and it not record a victory. Huh. Oh, so these tough. teams, these teams have a 0.0 winning percentage um, by playing in at least one Super Bowl. Cincinnati Bengals. Yep, there you go. They are 0-3 in the Super Bowls, including last year when Joe Burrow took on the Rams. Yeah, um, that's exactly what I'm thinking mm-hmm, of. <laughs> yep. 
Include that includes the loss that Boomer Sison had and Ken Anderson. Um. Okay, this is going to jog my brain a, a bit here. Hmm? Carolina Panthers. There you go. They are zero and two. Uh, and the Super okay, Bowl that includes when Cam Newton, um, was the quarterback part of that yep. forty-three to eight loss to the Broncos. Um. Sure. Yeah, Super Bowl Fifty. Super Bowl Fifty. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Well, now, now it's starting to get a little tough now because I gotta mm-hmm. like actually start thinking about this. Um, man, I'm trying to think. Have the Jets ever been to a Super Bowl? Have they? Yes. I don't know. I'm just gonna say it. Let's go Jets. The Jets surprise. The Jets have actually won their Super Bowl. Uh, was it uh, Joe Namath? That was with, yeah, Joe Namath. Mm-hmm. Okay. See, they've was, only played in one say, Super Bowl, though. Okay, I was going to say, like, I think they've been in, they played in one. I don't know if they've won it, but, Joe, yeah, Joe Namath, that, that'll definitely do it. Um, Man, this is actually very tough. I'm just kind of going through teams in my head right now. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not looking great. How about Miami? Coco? Miami? Miami, the Dolphins? Kyle, they have actually won two Super Bowls. They've won they two are Super two Bowls. and okay. three in the Super Bowl. Both those wins coming under say, a quarterback. Not of Dan Marino, but of Bob say, Grease. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Because like, Dan Marino never won one. Nope. So that's why I chose Miami there. Uh-huh. That's a good guess, okay. though. Uh-huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I'm just going to start throwing some out. Minnesota? Yeah, there you go. Minnesota's okay. 0-4 in their Super Bowls. Joe Cap 0-1-1. Fran Targenton 0-3 was part of my five worst Super Bowl quarterback performances, which can be found on Sports Not. Yes, sir. Um, yeah. Fran Targenton there. Uh, 0-3. Okay, so there we go. There's another there you go. Yeah, Minnesota Vikings. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, we're getting somewhere with this. That's three, right? Uh, yes, about... that's three. Uh, this is tough, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of, of, of different teams here. Let's go with uh, Cleveland? Question. The Browns? Have they played in the Super Bowl? The Cleveland Browns, Kyle, have not played in a Super Bowl, so they do not say... qualify here. I was going to say, if they play in the Super Bowl, it was probably long, long before they started putting bags over their heads, Kyle. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Absolutely. Jags, I don't believe have played in the Super Bowl. Titans, I don't think so. Jacksonville, no. Tennessee Titans, Kyle. They are part of this list. Oh, wow. The Tennessee Titans, they played in one Super Bowl. It was when Steve. McNair was their quarterback, and they lost 23-16. Okay, interesting. So that's four. Hmm? Halfway there. Okay. Um, Atlanta. Atlanta, yep, there you go. They are 0-2. That includes their their, loss to Tom Brady, that comeback down 28-3 against Matt Ryan and the Atlanta Falcons. Um... Man, 
This is really tough. So I need two more, right? I'm looking for two more. You're at five. You're looking for three more. Oh, okay. Three more. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, did Buffalo ever? Buffalo. Yeah, there you go. They are 0-4, Kyle. And I'm pretty sure all four of their losses came in four consecutive years. Yeah, yep. Uh, mm-hmm. Jim Kelly. Yep, Jim Kelly, 0-4 in Super Bowl. Okay, so... Down to two teams. More here. Both of these teams, Kyle, have only played in one Super Bowl and lost them. Chargers? Yep, there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When Stan Humphreys was their quarterback and lost 49 to 26, that was the year Steve Young was the MVP of that okay. Super Bowl. All right. All right, one more. See your NFC team. Say that again, Cal? Is this an AFC or NFC team? I'm looking for it here. This is an NFC team. NFC team, okay. Mm-hmm. I'm going to throw a name out there. I don't know if it's right, but Washington. Nope, not Washington. The Commanders are actually 3-2 and two, um, in their five Super Bowls that put, that they played. Jim Plunkett is 2-0. Super Bowls? Oh. Uh, yeah, I know. It's hard to believe. Same record as the Las Vegas, as the Raiders. Uh okay, I don't I don't know if they've played in the Super Bowl, um, but De- but Detroit, Detroit, the Lions, they are not part of this list. Okay, I, I didn't think they played in the Super Bowl, but mm. I was just man, I need this last one. This is tough. Yes, I don't you do. even know who to guess. This one anymore. hits close to home. <laughs> I don't even know who to guess anymore. NFC only played in one Super Bowl. Uh, okay, just give it to me. All right, it's the same. It's the the team that is hosting this year's Super Bowl, the Arizona Cardinals. Oh, remember that Super Bowl with um them and the Steelers? Yeah, back in two thousand nine. For some reason, for some reason, I thought they won that one, but they didn't. (laughs) You had that uh, pick six, that hundred yard pick six. Yeah, I remember. And that then and the touchdown in the back corner of the end zone. Yeah, that was nuts. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know why I didn't guess the the Cardinals because I thought they won that game for some mm-hmm. reason. But San Antonio Holmes, yeah. <laughs> I was ready to tell you, Kyle, that uh, we had mentioned uh, this quarterback earlier in our show with Kurt Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Being the yeah. last player to, um. Win a Super Bowl MVP and a regular season MVP. Right. Yeah. When I brought up exactly. Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that was a good list. That was a good list. That's a good Kyle. Seven of eight. Okay. Got the Vikings who a... went zero and four. The Bills went zero and four. Bengals zero and three. Falcons and Panthers zero and two. And then the Chargers and the Titans at zero and one. A couple more guesses than I hoped for, but you know that's all good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Yeah. All right, so that was trivia. The teams who have made a Super Bowl but have never won a Super Bowl. That's a good one, yeah. Super Bowl's going to be fun, man. I'm looking forward to yes. it. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm a huge Eagles fan, but I think the Chiefs are going to win. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so like we mentioned, Kyle has the Chiefs to win. I've got the Eagles to win um, Super Bowl 57 down in Glendale, Arizona. That kicks off 
at 3.30 p.m. Pacific Time, 6.30 on the East Coast. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. So with that, that's going to do it for us here on Down the Line. This week, as you mentioned, next week we're going to go over the NBA All-Star our NBA All-Star Game mock draft. Um, probably be Kyle and I will be, one will be Team LeBron, one will be Team Giannis, and we will pick players based on the teams. We'll do that next week as the full list of replacements come out. We mentioned a few um, today that were according services haven't been officially announced. So we will do all that next week. We'll talk some more as we get closer and closer to pitchers and catchers reporting next week for Major League Baseball. Baseball season is right around the corner. We are listed 50 days away from opening day. We will get there. We will. So with that, <laughs> so with that that's going to do it for us here on Dumb Line. For Kyle Betts, I'm Brevin Hondo. We thank you for listening to this week's episode, and we hope you tune in next week.